Amen. And uh, what a joy it is to be together this morning in the Lord's house. And uh, Susie wanted to be clear what, she, what I had to go to Walmart. I went to get Walmart for aspirin for her since I'm such a headache. But she said, <laughs> but we, uh, we had a wonderful Christmas at home, and I trust you did too. And uh, with family and one another, be there together for a bit of time and rejoice in God's blessing. Uh, Caleb and Randy are out today. Uh, Randy is down in Indiana visiting family, and uh, Caleb is also uh, in Minnesota visiting family today. And uh, they'll be traveling back this week, so we'll pray for traveling mercies for them. And uh, so looking forward to um, being back in the new year. And as we think of the new year, uh, I want to kind of talk to us on that subject this morning and just retitle the sermon this morning, just Reset. Uh, what it means to have a reset, and talk about that just for a moment this morning. If you take your Bibles, let's go to the book of Micah. Micah. Uh, Micah chapter number 6, and uh, if you're familiar at all with the book of Micah, you'll know what text of Scripture uh, we're moving towards. Micah is probably not something that uh, you read regularly. Uh, None of the minor prophets get a whole lot of attention, though they could bear more attention. Uh, they're rich, rich texts of Scripture. Uh, most of us don't have Micah's Scripture references up on the wall at our house. And if you do, you probably don't know you do. Um, and so they're there. But uh, this text of Scripture is probably one of the, uh, the famous verses of Micah in chapter number 6. And we're going to read verses uh, 6 through verse number 8. And we'll read that together. And if you found your place, let's stand together in honor of the Word of God. We'll read chapter 6. Verses 6 through 8. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with thy God? Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we ask you that you would add your blessing to the reading of the word of God this morning. Father, we ask you that you would open our eyes and our ears, help us to see what you have us to see, to understand what we see, and then to apply it to our lives this morning uh, by your grace. Father, we ask you, Father, that you be with those that are online that are joining us this morning, that, Father, you would work in their lives as well, do a work in and through them today. And, Lord, we'll just praise you for your mercy, praise you you for your grace, or thank you for sending your Son. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. You can be seated there. Micah is, uh, again, not an extremely familiar book of the Bible to most of us. Micah would have been a partner with King Hezekiah. Hezekiah would have been one of the kings of the nation of Judah who sought to restore Judah to its right place with God and to bring them back to a place of revival. And Micah would have worked with him to to preach and to prophesy and try to bring reforms back to the nation of Judah. And if you know uh, some of the history of the Old Testament, Israel was one nation under David and Solomon. And then when Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, came along, the nation split into two nations. And you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was then, from that point forward, called Israel. And Israel never had a good king. It never had a godly king over them. 
uh, and Judah would go back and forth between godly kings and, and ungodly kings, and it would have a, uh, a back and forth battle. And so Hezekiah was one of these kings that feared God and was calling the nation back to him, and Micah he is calling the nation back to God with him. Micah mourns throughout this book of the sinfulness of his nation, and rightly so. Look at verse number 3 of chapter 6. He says, O my people, what have I done unto thee? Wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Micah is prophesying for God and asking the question to them, what, What's the problem? Why have you turned from me? For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent, thee before Moses, sent before thee Moses and Aaron and Miriam. And he said, I've done all this for you. What's the deal? Why are you walking away from me? Why are you rebelling against me? In chapter 7, we see him going back and forth between the, the worry over the men that could not be trusted in their lives. He said, you're not going to be able to trust your, your spouse. You're not going to be able to trust your brother. You can't trust your, your leaders. And he just talks about this frustration of all of this back and forth. And then we come to verse 6, and he's saying, how are we going to get things right with God? And he is understanding the futility of his own righteous efforts. He said, what would you have from us? And it's, it's as if they're responding back to God. And wherewithal shall I come before thee Shall I, to bow myself before the God? Should I offer burnt offerings? Should I offer my firstborn child upon the altar? Would that please God? And, of course, he understands the futility of man's efforts to please God. And he comes down to a simple statement here that he gives us in really uh, what we like to make into formulas, but he gives us this statement, three things. He has showed the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee. Let's clear the dust away. What does God expect? Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. And he lays this out in a, in a beautiful picture. Now, I remind you again that when we look at the Old Testament, uh, we are reminded that the Old Testament <clears throat> is a well-furnished but dimly lit room. That when we look back into the Old Testament or we're standing in the Old Testament, we don't see all the pictures that we see when we look from the New Testament back. When we fast forward into the New Testament and we look back into the Old Testament, we can see some beautiful gospel pictures being laid out. And so you and I, when we read the Bible, we don't read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, but because of where we are in history, we read the Bible from Revelation to Genesis. And we understand that the gospel has unfolded and all of that informs what has come before. And so in that understanding, I want to give some counsel this morning as we walk into 2021. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us that we don't know what 2021 is going to be like. Um, it's reminded us that we can't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how it's going to unfold. We don't know what the new year will bring to us. I think it's fair to say that we live in troubled times. I don't think it's an unfair statement or even a pessimistic statement. And in reality, when you look throughout human history, most every generation would say, this is a troubled time. Most every generation would say, these are rough days. And because no generation knew what was coming while they were living it out. And we look at that and we live in life today that is busier than ever, right? It's constantly busier. Uh, you know, you would think with all the technology we have that things would be easier, right? That we'd get, we'd 
things would go smoother, right? You got I me, mean, you got a phone that tells you how to get home. My, my phone, every time I get in my car, it goes directions home. And I'm like, I know where I live, you know? I mean, give me something else like the meaning of life, you know, help me with that, you know? But it wants to give you this information all the time. You have technology coming at us nonstop. Um, and all of this comes at us at a very fast pace. How, how many remember the Jetsons? Remember the Jetsons, right? You know, I mean, everything was supposed to be perfect by the time we got there, right? I mean, you had a car that folded up into your briefcase when you got to work. That's perfect. I mean, you did no parking troubles anymore, and you just kind of float to work in a floating car. And, and you know, they had the, the, the video conferences, so they got that right. And, uh, and you know, we think we're, we're so connected, and yet we have more friends, quote-unquote friends, than we've ever had, and yet we don't have as many friends as we used to have. And technology is not the answer to the problem. We still find ourselves busy. The new year is, you know, often in our, in our Western mind is a time to double down our efforts and try harder. You know, whatever that list of goals you had last year, um, you're going to pull that list out and kind of revise it and refocus it. And we're going to try harder this year, right? I mean, we're going to save for that retirement. We're going to save for that vacation until the summer gets here and we haven't saved for that vacation and so we pull out the credit card and go on vacation anyway um, and we we do these things that we plan to do and let, let me just as a point of reminder don't don't set 10 goals for this year maybe you said two or three uh, and, and keep your goals small uh, and attainable and understand that you can accomplish more in a decade than you can in a, than, than in a year and I think sometimes we underestimate what we can accomplish over 10 years and we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year um, and so maybe just set the long-term goal a little bit out there in front of us. But as we walk into it, what does God expect of us in 2021? What would, what would we say is our call? And I, I just want to give some advice or counsel to us as a church family this morning. Then I want to come back to the book of Micah and tie this together. In this counseling from the Word of God, what would, what would we say what we're supposed to do? Well, he summed it up for us, right? Do justly, love mercy. Walk humbly with thy God. So here, here's my four pieces of advice for us as we go into 2021. Number one, boasting of tomorrow is evil. Boasting of tomorrow is evil. Now you say, Pastor, that seems like a pretty strong statement, but I want you to go with me to James chapter number three, uh, James chapter number four, rather, and I want you to see what the scripture says in reference to this. In verse number 13 of James, he gives us this instruction. He says, go to now you that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. He said, this is the plan. And is there anything that describes our, our mindset here in Western civilization of our strategy and our planning? And, and you know, and, and, and here I get, I get emails by the hundreds, it seems like, and we get paper sent to the church about church strategy for 2021 and and what's the plan for the church in 2021 and how to get the church on the same page page and vision casting and all of these things and and at times I'm like well I, I don't want to have a strategy I just want to do what God leads us to do and I'm like well isn't that a strategy if you don't have a strategy I mean it, so it, it's like you can't really get away from this and but we have this this desire to want to plan and to prepare and and that in itself is not bad to plan and prepare is not bad, but we say we're going to go and do this or that. In verse number 14, he says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. 
It's a short time. And from the youngest to the oldest in the room this morning, all the way over into our nursery this morning, and the little ones there, we understand that life is a vapor. It appears for a moment, and it vanishes away, and, and, it, and it goes by so quickly. And, and I think we have to, the Bible tells us, to number our days and, and to consider what we're doing with our days. And often when I come to the pulpit on a Sunday morning, I'm reminded that we get about 52 hours of this on a, on a, in a year. 52 hours of standing and preaching to God's people and, and, and I, I feel that pressure and the weight of man let's make sure it's right and make sure it's done well and, and, and I, I want that to, to be impactful and, and we, can, we can get so wrapped up in that that then we start saying okay this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to accomplish it and this is we're going to make it he said I want you to number your days and he said what will that do for us and he said for what we ought to say if the Lord will we shall live and do this or that and so what we should say is with all of our planning, don't stop planning, don't stop dreaming, but say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. You know, it's my desire that in 2021 we'll be able to take the kids to camp and we'll be able to have vacation Bible school and, and we'll get our growth groups back up and going here in just a few weeks and, and those will be able to flourish and grow and, and our children's ministry will be able to continue going forward. But ultimately, nobody here has a crystal ball and knows what tomorrow holds. And so what we want to say is this is our plan, this is where we're going, but we're going to stand back with humility and say, if the Lord will, we will do this or that. If God wills, then we're going to do these things and we're going to accomplish them for God and we're going to move forward. He said, for what you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. And all such rejoicing is evil. When we boast of what we're going to accomplish and what we're going to do without predicating it on, if God wills, we will do this. We end up in a very evil place. It isn't the frustration and the anxiety of our world today. Is, is this what we're going to accomplish? And then we come up short. And what we're going to accomplish, we come up short. You see, here's the thing. If God is in control, then God was in control in 2020 when everything was shut down. And God is in control in 2021 if things go forward. Whether we're on the mountaintop or we're stuck in the first chapter of the book of Job, either way, God is still in control. And we rest that God knows what he's doing, and a providential God can do this work for us and through us. And so if the Lord will, so write our calendars out, plan your goals, set your agendas for the year, and do all of that, and then stand back and say, and if God, if this isn't your plan, then defeat my plan and accomplish yours. If the Lord will, we will do this or that. So then I want you to see next, outcomes are not up to us. Now you probably know where I'm going, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says to the church, he said, Apollos is planted, uh, Apollos, uh, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the increase. He said, it is God that brings about the increase. And here's the thing, you and I, the outcome is not up to us. And I think that is the frustrating thing, is that we live in a world where we think we can produce the outcomes. And I think the majority of our anxiety is trying to get relationships to come out like we want them to do, and getting job situations to come out like we want them to do, and somehow or another there's a bit of hubris involved that we think we know what the best outcome would be. Because ultimately, I don't know what the best outcome is. God knows what the best outcome is. He has a purpose and a plan. And when our plans are defeated, let's not stand back and shake a fist at God or get frustrated with God's timing, but understanding that God has a purpose for every outcome. God, would, God was not asleep in 2020. 
he was still God and he was still in control. He was still guiding our steps. And here's the reality. He can guide us as Job through the valley or he can take us like Joseph to the palace and he's still God in both places. And ultimately, outcomes are not in us. God gives the increase and we rest in him to give the increase. Now, I'm not arguing this morning a passivity. I'm not saying this morning, well, you know what? God's going to give the increase, and so, you know, we can sing with Doris Day, K sera, sera, right? So whatever. Most of you don't know. You're looking at me like, I don't know what Doris Day is, all right? Sorry, I just, I, I like old music. So Google it. It's worth a Google, all right? Uh, but um, you're singing K sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. You know, so th- that's not what we're talking about either. We're not talking about a spirit that just sits back and says, well, you know, just kind of let life meander in a course and it doesn't matter where we go. No, I think we are to plan. I think we are to make purposes and say, this is where I believe the Lord wants us to go. Now let's go there. But then we're okay when God brings it in a different direction. Or after you've invested and you've called and you've written and you've prayed and the outcome you desire in that relationship has not been accomplished. I mean, how many of you know somebody, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know somebody right now you would love to see in 2021 them to come to know Jesus? I mean, you just, I mean, and I, I, I could tell you a, a personal account right now that I won't do, but I mean, just my heart is burdened to see them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, and I want to labor to see that end and see them understand the hope of the gospel and a hope of fellowship with Almighty God that is through Jesus Christ, and I desire to see that, and I want to labor, and I want to plan to see it, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it is God that gives the increase, not Mike McDonough. And I can rest in the fact that God is in control. I think when we start laboring to be the causes of outcome, we can almost alter the input to try to get the outcome. We're not careful. We think we know what the fruit should be. He knows what he's doing. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God, and let God take care of the outcomes. Because he's able. How many believe this morning he's in charge? He's in control. He can accomplish the ends. I want you to see, number one, that boasting of tomorrow is evil. Outcomes are not up to us. Seize the day is only half the story. You know, you know the, the phrase carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Grab a hold of it. It's only half the story. Now, I, 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 I think there's something in this that I go, yeah, let's grab the moment, right? I mean, the days are slipping away. Our life is a vapor, and it appears for a moment, and it vanishes away. So let's make an impact. Let's do something. Let's labor right now. And we can grab this idea that is a worldly idea of the, the YOLO idea. And that was a few years ago. It's still You can still find it in some of the extreme sports, Y-O-L-O. And the idea is the acronym, you only live once. And so you only got one life, so go and enjoy it and pour yourself into it. Well, the reality is you only live here once, but you live eternity somewhere. And so it's seizing the day, grabbing the moment, laboring hard. It's only half the story. See, we don't labor hard for the present. We don't labor hard for self, but we labor hard in light of eternity. Now, you know your New Testament, I'm sure, and you know where I'm going already, but in Philippians 3, 13 through 14, if you turn there with me, the Apostle Paul's writing. Philippians 3, 13 through 14, he said, brethren, 
I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I think the call is that we are to press toward the mark. Yes, I understand that, that to boast of tomorrow is evil and that outcomes are not up to me. But at the same time, in the same breath, I'm to say with the Apostle Paul, I press toward the mark, that I labor to accomplish it. I, he said in one passage that he labored more abundantly than all the apostles. And he poured himself into what he was doing. He spent himself in the, in the pursuit of the things that were eternal. And he ran with everything he had in him. And I want to say to us this morning, let us not walk into 20. 2021 with an idea of a passivity and you say well pastor hold on a second I thought God was in charge and it's not up to us yes let me remind you that the apostle Paul wrote Ephesians as well as this he acknowledged the fact that God is sovereign and he acknowledged the fact in Romans 8 that God was in control and he acknowledges all that and yet at the same time he says and I press toward the mark. He said I want to put on my running boots, I want to put on my boxing gloves, I want to put on the armor of God and I want to press into what God has called me to do. And by the way that's why it's so important that we're saying if the Lord will. Because as I pour myself into something he directs my steps and he guides where I'm going. We pour ourselves into all that we do in the light of eternity. So we said this morning, boasting of tomorrow is evil. Outcomes are not up to us. Seizing the day is only half the story. As you grab the moment with your children, press toward the mark. As you labor at work this year, press toward the mark. And, and labor hard. And then let me say this, as we labor hard, let's be okay when God directs the outcome in a different way. And let's be okay when God does his own thing and doesn't accomplish our thing. Because here's the reality. Regardless of what I'm pouring myself into, if God is the one that brings the outcome, then it's the right outcome. Not my outcome, his outcome. And so press toward the mark. And right on the back of that. And I think this is probably where most of us get hung up. Here's the last piece of advice this morning and we're going to go back to Micah and tie this together. Past regrets and future fears cripple my present action. Past regrets and future fears cripple my present action. See, I believe that majority of Christians, many, many Christians, especially if you've been a Christian for any time, you spend a lot of time looking in the past. Frustrated over sins, frustrated over failed relationships, frustrated over children who maybe don't walk with the Lord anymore, frustrated over marriages that didn't finish like you wanted them to finish, frustrated over jobs that were lost, and you live in the past over here, well, I wish I had done this, and I wish I had done this better, and man, if I'd only known that, then I could have done this, and I mean, how many of us this morning, at some point in our life, we thought, man, if I could just go back and talk to myself at high school with what I know today, how many feel like you could do better? No, you'd be just as dumb as you were then, all right? It, I promise you, it would happen to me too, all right? I wouldn't have listened to me because I had people around me telling me all the things I did wrong, and I didn't listen then. Uh, the fact is, for some reason or another, God doesn't let us listen to everything that's given to us, and we've made those mistakes, and we step back here and we think, man, you know, I just really wish I had those years past. We, we can't get through the holidays without, and I was telling the kids the other day, I, I, TJ and I were riding to get some presents, and I said, you know, I feel like every Christmas, 
is cumulative of all the other Christmases. It's like they all kind of build up together. Because I, I don't sit around a Christmas tree without thinking about when I was a boy. And thinking about when my kids were little bitty toe-headed kids running around the, the living room and excited over a $10 toy. Oh, for those days again. <laughs> you know, where they were more excited about the box than they were the gift, right? Um, you know, I, I remember those days. And, 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 I, and all of those days built into two or three days ago when we sat around the tree and I see my grown daughter sitting there in the living room and thanking me and they're more excited about giving us gifts than we are than getting the ones we got for them or at least they acted that way because that's the appropriate response I think um, but the, we're sitting around the tree and enjoying each other and all of those build and we can remember those things and they build on us but here's the reality we can spend all of our time looking back here and regretting what we didn't do regretting how we failed in some area and no doubt it's a true failure and I think what it does is it robs us of the present. And then the other side of it, what we do, we fear tomorrow. What's tomorrow going to hold? What's it going to be like when? What's it going to be like next year? What, uh, what, what can we do and how, how is this going to happen in the future? And what will be our financial situation? And does God have purpose for me in tomorrow? Here's the reality. God has purpose for tomorrow. He didn't fail to be God back then, and he won't fail to be God tomorrow. His grace has led us safe this far. His grace will lead us on, and we can trust in that. And, you know, and who's writing these words when he says, forgetting those things which are past? The Apostle Paul is writing them. Well, what is he writing about? Well, in the immediate context here, he's writing about the things he has to boast in that he says he shouldn't boast about, but he's going to boast about anyway. Um, that's always funny to me. Paul says, I shouldn't boast about this, but I'm going to boast about it, so pardon me while I boast for a little while. And he says, I was a Jew above all Jews. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, man, I did everything right. I followed all the rules. I was the, I was the, I was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. Nobody could out-Hebrew me. Paul talked of all that he had done, all that he accomplished, do we not know people that spend all their time looking back at what they have accomplished? See, because what I accomplished last year or didn't accomplish last year is really a mute point. Because broken people need to be helped today. Marriages need to be encouraged today. The word of God needs to be taught today. Lost souls need to be witnessed to today. And we can rest on what we've done in the past. But Paul's not only talking about what he's accomplished in the past, he's also talking about what he had failed to do in the past. I mean, you remember the picture, right? A man named Saul standing outside with the coach laid at his feet. As one of the first deacons, Stephen has preached a powerful gospel message. And he gives the nod and the first stone begins to fly. And they literally beat the life out of Stephen. And Paul consented to his death. Do you think Paul had some regrets? I think Paul had some days he's like, what am I even he wrote for us. He said, I am not meet to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. Paul understood his past was tainted and it was filled with his own pride and his own sin and he understood all that. But what Paul said is, I've been redeemed. I've been called by the Savior of the universe to do a job. So forgetting those things which are past, I reached forward to those things before. I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I've got a work to do today. And he said, I can't spend my time looking back over here worried about what I should have done, could have done, would have done, but I've got a work to do now. And so let me press into that mark today. 
So Paul is pressing in. He said, I'm also not worrying over the future. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in all the New Testament is the last chapter of 2 Timothy when Paul is writing to Timothy, probably on his deathbed, waiting in prison, about to die. And he just writes simple words to him. He said, hey, when you come, bring the cloak I left. And if you can, bring it before winter. That would be great. And he said, bring me the books, but especially the parchments. And it's just this real calm writing. And he concludes in that same chapter, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He wasn't living in anxiety over the past, nor is he living in anxiety over the future. Paul said, we have a present right now. Here's the thing. You can't be right with God yesterday. And you can't be right with God tomorrow. You can only be right with God right now. And I can't even guarantee you lunch. You'll probably pull out on Hayes Road and somebody will cut you off and you'll get mad at somebody else's driving. And some of your wives will just be mad at your husband's driving. And we'll have to get right with the Lord then. The fact is, we're not promised that. But here in this moment right now, I can be yielded to him. I can be surrendered to him in this moment. And I can say, God, in this moment, I want to honor you right now where I stand with the people you put in front of me. Not the people I hope will be in front of me next year. Or not the the, the fact that I wish I had reached that person last year. But God, you've put some people in front of me right now to love on and to honor you with. And Lord, help me do that in this moment right now where I stand. And so what is the formula that I want to remind us of? Forgetting the past, trusting God with the future, I live in obedience to Christ today. That's all you can do. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And so say it with me, forgetting the past, say it with me, here we go. Forgetting the past, trusting God with the future, I live in obedience to Christ today. You guys are sleepier than the 9 o'clock hour. I'm just going to say that right now, all right? You guys are horrible, man. Go back to sleep. No, I'm teasing. Let's try it one more time. Here we go. Ready? Forgetting the past. Trusting God with the future. I live in obedience to Christ today. And that ought to be our call every day of the week. Tomorrow morning. Who's being a smart aleck back there? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, you can say, forgetting the past trusting God with the future. I live in obedience to Christ today. Because you can't fix the past and you can't change the future. All you have is the moment right now in front of us and so we live it for the glory of God. And so past regrets, future failures cripple our present. Boasting of tomorrow is evil. Outcomes are not unto us. Seize the day is only half the story. And so what do we do? We do justly. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Do justly not demand justice for me. It's a difference. See, I think too often what I want is I want you to make it right by me. The call here is not for me to worry about how you're treating me. The call is to make sure that I'm treating you right. Am I doing justly? Am I handling other people right? As a matter of fact, the New Testament admonition would be that even we should be willing to take wrong as opposed to doing wrong to someone. Take the wrong on yourself rather than hurt the name of Christ. 
So I ask the question this morning, are we doing justly? Not demanding it for self, but or exacting it of others around us. And can you imagine how petty it would be the moment somebody did wrong to us? Well, that person didn't speak to me, or that person cut me off, or I can't believe that person didn't respond to my email in three days, and I didn't get a text back from them. And we walk with all these injustices in our mind, and we're keeping a ledger of all that. He says, look, don't keep the ledger of that. Ask yourself, are you doing justly today? Do justly love mercy. And by the way, I don't want to demand justice for Mike Montgomery. Because if I got what I deserved, I'd be in hell this morning. But justice is not something I demand. It's something I think that Jesus Christ took for me. He said love mercy. Why do we love mercy? Because we desperately need mercy. We need mercy every day of our life. Mercy is new every morning, and I'm glad it is because my old wicked heart is more evil every morning. Our, our, our desire and our need ought to be to love mercy, to cling to it, to see that we're doing justice, that we're loving mercy, not just for those that we love and care for, but for all. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that pure religion and undefiled is to visit the fatherless and the widows. And I, th I think the, the New Testament admonition is that we would pour into people who cannot do anything for us in return. Not just doing for those who can do for us. So do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. What does it mean to walk humbly? I think the word humility, we can think a lot of wrong things on it, but I think if we were to put it in modern vernacular, I would think it is a, it is a true self-awareness. Humility is understanding who I am in light of who God is. It's when I see who I am in light of who God is, humility has to be the response. I, I have to see the fact that I have no right to shake a finger at anybody. Because I am guilty before a holy God and yet he showed me mercy. What a God to allow me to walk humbly with him, realizing who I am, realizing who he is. And I told you at the beginning that we really can't read the Old Testament well unless we read it backwards. And see, here's, here's the way we read this backwards. I think if we read this in the way that we read it, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, then what we would do is we'd have a checklist. Like, okay, have I done justly today? Check. You know, do I love mercy? What does it even look like to love mercy on a daily basis? Make sure I'm loving mercy. Am I walking humbly? Well, I feel like I've been extremely humble. As a matter of fact, I think I'll write a book about humility. Humility and how I attained it, you know. And we, we can get so full of self, but I think we have to read it backwards. I think we say, our God, walk humbly, love mercy, do justly. When we start with him and his relationship, walking humbly is the response Loving mercy comes naturally, and doing justly is the outwork of the life of Christ. And by the way, this is not foreign from what Micah is looking to either. His hope doesn't rest in his nation's ability to grab a hold of this and to make it happen. But look what he says in chapter 7 of Micah again. Chapter 7 and verse 7. He says, therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. 
Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies, when I fall. I shall rise when I sit in darkness. The Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. What words? He said, I, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against him. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This could be Pauline. And then he says next, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. And he understood that his hope didn't rest in his attempts to accomplish it with his own hands, but it was a work that God did in him and through him as he walked with his God. Verse number 18 of chapter 7, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Man, aren't you glad this morning that God that we serve delights in mercy? He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins in the depths of the sea. Aren't you glad your sins have been cast in the depths of the sea? You see, if we're going to do this well in 2020, one, we're going to have to start with who he is, our God. Walk humbly, love mercy, and do justly. And that relationship is the way it works in us. It is Christ in you, the hope of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the faithfulness of it this morning. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you would bless our time together. Or may it not be accomplishing our ends, but accomplishing your ends. And Lord, forgive us when we have the heart to want to accomplish our own ends. Lord, help us, Lord, to pursue you in 2021, as you would have us to. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet if we could.